Look up there in the sky. It's a bird, a plane. It's Handsome Boys Comics Hour. Those boys are so handsome. One Reverend Stryker. One Inhuman Nightcrawler. One Fortnightly Discussion of Comics and Nerd Culture. I'm your host, Robbie Norman, literature geek and writer. And I'm your other host, Eric Zigo Knight, professional arts and illustration nerd. And we are the Handsome Boys Comics Hour. You hope for news, reviews, slightly antagonistic banter, and much, much more. It's episode 296. And I gotta be honest, I feel like you've not really done your research. Nightcrawler, not an inhuman. He's a mutant. <laughs> Well, actually. Hey, man. Hey. Hey. You know, I, I, I'm not the one typoing the, 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 the mutant hood of poor Nightcrawler. Hey, okay. Poor Kurt away. This is written in character for Reverend Striker, all right? He doesn't even know inhumans are a thing. He is I, I he's laser. Mean, I, I, I think you mean um, Reverend Mike Pence. We're going to talk all about his similarities to many politicians. Mm-hmm. We are discussing God Loves, Man Kills uh, later on in Nerd Boy Book Club, where Mike Pence tries to murder a bunch of mutants. He's I mean, got nothing better to do I with mean, his time. I mean, Reverend Stryker, excuse me. Mm-hmm. I, I slip of the tongue there. Definitely not Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. Apparently. Well, okay. We'll get, I, we, we'll get to it. We'll have plenty to talk about later on. But, Eric... But, I mean, always, mm-hmm. almost kind of omnipresent, regardless, your presence alone makes sure of that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's your, it's your brand. It's part of, sure. Yeah, I would say it's part of your brand. Uh, we have comic books that came out much more recently to talk about. It is time for our first segment. It's time for Floppies Fortnightly. Floppies Fortnightly is the part of the show where Eric and I... Read a collection of a collection, a selection of this past couple weeks' books to tell you to buy or do not buy them. Uh, there is motion meter regression one to five. Our first book is Dark Ages, number one, written by Tom Taylor, Art Ibn Ibn Coelho, Art Colors, Brian Reber, Letters, Joe Sabino. I'm having an unfortunately hard time making portmanteau out of uh, collection and selection. It's because the whole second part of both words is the same. It's the same. Uh, this is a dark. This book was first announced for 2020, but it was delayed, and delayed, 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 delayed because of the pandemic. It is finally seeing release. Uh, Tom Taylor, known for writing deceased and uh, and uh, the Injustice books, he's very he's uh, he's found a niche of writing dark future <laughs> what if stories. Mm-hmm. And here is another one. Um, what do you think, Eric? Oh God, um, I I I definitely like I have some respect for Tom Taylor, um, but I do not like this. Oh, okay. It is. It is. Oh God, it's it's one of those things that it's exactly like the movie The Rock, and that it's like either the dumbest thing for smart people. Or the smartest thing for dumb people. Like, that's the space that it occupies. Like, I feel like it's trying to 
be grounded in smart ideas, but it's just dumb as hell. Um, maybe in a fun way. I don't know. I, I'm just so frustrated by it. <laughs> frustrated. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I'm entertained by it. You know, the, like the vaguest sense of the word, you know, it is, it is very stupid. Um, I think my large, like I, some of it is very charming to me. All, I mean, it's mostly just like the May, you know, baby, baby spider kid. Really cute. Really adorable. Um, and those are basically all my favorite parts of this issue are like those moments where we get the humanity of Spider-Man and his his family and all that. Um, but I also think this this issue is kind of unnecessary in this greater mm. story. Um I don't know if I, I I don't know if Tom Taylor pitched this as this like originally as the, like it feels like this is a thing that you like oh we need to explain to the dummies why the earth is doesn't have power anymore why all the electronics have been fried forever um and so we have a whole issue outlining that but you could just start in this mm-hmm. post apocalypse, you don't need to establish why it happened. Really, you just have to say, "Oh, power's out." And you, if you want to reveal some of these details later on, you can. Um, it's not a bad idea to know, like, not to to know how it happened. But we, as readers, don't really need to know all this stuff, even if it is entertaining to a certain extent. Um, I don't necessarily find it bad. I think the art is really nice. It, it, it I think the 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 story is good enough and i think the characters are written well enough it just feels Mm -hmm. a little bit unnecessary because i i like it's called the dark ages but we don't really get any dark ages of this until like the last two pages and i this feels like a zero issue i think is my the long and short of it um i really do like the spider i like may and lifting up rubble to protect you know people that's really cute I don't know if that makes this comic book worth $4, though. No, no, absolutely not. No, does it? Okay, Eric has an answer not even, for us. Not even, not even close. Oh, not even... Wow! Mm-hmm. Okay. Iron Man with a bunch of fireworks on his back. He's steam-powered. doesn't do it. He's steam-powered I know. Now. Like, Eric. that's really stupid. It is. Plenty of stuff would work after an EMP. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no! <laughs> and I don't even know that it's 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 not it's a. I don't even think it would last forever. No, I would, I don't know. It, I can't. It's pretend a, to know everything. It's Whatever. Mag- it's a magical permanent EMP. Ooh, that's what that's so what, an MP EMP. I, I guess so. Doctor Strange opens some vortex into some place that's really like just just permanent. It's like a permanently. <laughs> Stupid fucking Doctor Strange. I mean, he does cause a lot of problems. Maybe not do that so mm-hmm. much. Um, this is here. This is my official. My official recommendation is whenever this is collected on Comixology, and it's on Marvel has a big sale, which they do three mm-hmm. or four times a year, and you can buy this for four dollars. Four dollars. Yeah. Four dollars for the whole thing. I will happily buy it and read it. But until that day, I will be waiting. So I'm a do not buy on this issue. And I think when you read that and you and you're like, oh, I read this thing. It was pretty good. I'm going to be like, bull fucking shit. And then I won't read it. <laughs> what if I tell you? So that's, what if what that's if what if, what if what if this is all building to to that spider baby sp- may 
fighting apocalypse one on one. I mean, that's pretty good, but I don't. I still, I will just read that. I'll look at like the three panels <laughs> that that's what that is. Like, I don't think. Oh, I don't think there's gonna be like a good emotional build. So you're a Reddit you know? comics reader all of a sudden. <laughs> I read that book, meaning I read three panels of it. On no. Stolen from the internet. That's a double do not buy on Dark Ages number one. Next up is Batman. Fierce Batman here. Wait, let me. Batman colon fear state colon alpha number one. I feel like he needs to go in a medical museum if he's got two colons. It's pretty incredible. That's, why do you think he's so tough? See, he's doing he's doing twice the pooping. <laughs> Written by he's James. Got a, he's got a backup pooper. The bat colon. Come on. Yeah. It's, 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 it's just in case. Uh, it's when he wants. Not when he, just my colon, my bat colon. That's when he eats all that red meat. Uh, written by James Tinian the fourth. Art Ricardo Federici. Colors Chris Sotomayor. Letters Clayton Cowles. So this is the the fear state is the last thing that Tinian's going to be writing for Batman as he moves on to sub stack in his own work. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the this is effectively a zero issue for Fear State. It's setting up um, the Fear State event. Um, how how does it get your money, Eric? Does this does this do enough on its own to justify? Well, it certainly it certainly reads like a useless zero issue. Oh, coming out with a fire today! I, are you kidding? I I'm 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 a hateful hateful man. I really like James Tinian, and I think that I would compare this one directly to the Dark Ages that we just read, Mm -hmm. that it feels like a lot of useless dicking around and setting up stuff that would be very fun and very easy to understand being written in medias res. Um, It's just a boring bunch of nothing. Um, I think it's also really interesting it was not a thing I wouldn't have assumed uh, that that book was delayed um, from early on in 2020. Cause I think that sort of this book and dark ages, you know, because they're both about these big world spanning events that change life forever. Um, Until the next one. Yeah. I mean, this is just Gotham though, things, Eric, things, this is things just things like, this is well, just hear me out. Just gone. Hear me out. Hear me out. Okay. These things are, you know, they're relatively common in comic books, but are we reaching a point where everyone is just subtly writing about their fucking experience with the coronavirus pandemic? Because it's like, oh, here's this crazy thing that changes life forever. All of a sudden, here's this other book that's doing that, and all of us have to deal with it. It's reality. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that that's what these events are. The shape of it. I don't find these very good or interesting other than that. I I don't like this. I don't I don't give a shit other than it is a nice-looking superhero comic but they managed to really make me not care. Just I I don't know. I'm not interested. It's it's selling all plot ticket and I I don't find it particularly interesting. Okay, let me ask you a question. Are you interested in Fear State regardless of how you feel about this comic? I would say it's this thing's... I don't know what the fuck Fear State is before reading this. Um, 
I have I follow many of these people online and not seen them talk about it. I th- this thing's job is to sell it to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going from zero knowledge to plenty of knowledge, and I don't care after the fact. Okay. So I I I can't really make a statement about did I care before because I. I mean, do you do, if do you care about the number that I'm thinking of? No, I mean, I'm I don't really care about how you felt before. I'm how you feel about right now, and that's no. So that's all I'm interested in. Yeah, no, I, I th- that's what I'm saying. This book's job is to sell me on the idea of this, and I could not be more bored with what's going on here. And yeah, I always I, do, I always find it weird when. Uh, because this is two books in a row, a creator I respect does a competent job of writing a comic book, and it's just so, so much nothing. Such a nothing burger. It is. This book is fine. That's how I would describe it. I would. I yeah. think it's very pretty. Um, and I, I think the like all the characters sound like them. I, I feel like you know, there's, there's, there's a pretty big cast in this, and every single character in it feels tone, toned. Uh, tone correct, and and I think Tinian knows them well enough and can write them well mm. enough to make it yes. you know, sound right. But it yes. does not change the fact that this is setting up an event that doesn't really need set up much like that. This is at least on the tin. It says Fear State Alpha. It doesn't say Fear State Number One, and then the entire issue is just set up, which is what that Dark Ages book is. Um, I would just say if you're interested in Fear State, go read Fear State. You don't need this book. It you get it. You don't need to, it's not that complicated an idea. Oh, the scarecrow wants to make the whole town isolate the town, scare them with the help of this robotics dude, and it's clear all this is gonna usher in the future state world, or at least bring us to the precipice of it. I don't know if they're gonna fully commit to it. Who knows? It's a very strange thing that all these books have been doing is where like, oh, we had this future state event where we jumped in the future and now we're back in the, in the the present and Gotham, we're going to watch Gotham fall into this future state world where there's, you know, the the peacekeepers and all that stuff. I don't know. I don't know. It's very muddled. I don't understand this timeline very well. And I'm not really excited about seeing future state. I didn't find it that exciting. So fear state, isn't it? No, the, the, this is where we see the peacekeeper, the very first peacekeeper that we see a lot of in Future State. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that Fear State so leads fear into... State and there's Future State. Future Lovely. State already job, happened, guys. but I assume that... I mean, and it's sort of still happening. There's still some books that are branded Future State. So I'm assuming God. that this is going to... The, the Fear State is going to usher in Future State, I guess, but Future State already happened. And I, I don't know if they're going to try and, like... Do a twist. Long and... story short, comic books are really fucking dumb. Yeah, it's really complicated, and I don't know, understand why you would. I I don't know what DC's doing sometimes, um, especially with Batman. It feels like Batman's so easy, and they just do all these crazy things with him. Um, I'm gonna do not buy as well. I don't think mm-hmm. this is worth your money. Um, go buy Fear State if you are interested. Double do not buy Batman. Fear State Alpha number one. Next book up is May's book. Number one, description art by Jeff Lemire, letters Steve Wands. So this is a Jeff Jeff Lemire written and drawn book. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure that this isn't a comic book, though. I'm pretty sure that this is Jeff Lemire just punching me in the gut. 
for like 22 pages. It's it's uh it's extra long. It's a 40 40 plus page book. Um it's a double length, I guess, or whatever. So he punches me twice for 22 pages. Twice as much time as a, a normal yeah. comic book. Um yeah, this is really good. It's really remarkable. Um and I think an interesting counterpoint to the last two books which had nothing to say just aggressively had nothing to say like let's just wank on about spider-man and batman for 20 something pages um this book is it it wounds me i i really relate to this character this this is harsh there really is something like very painful in reading about this guy just sort of going through the motions and being so sad it's fucking killing him oh god this is this is something else this is a damned remarkable piece of art it it uh it ticks a lot of my boxes my like of my perf- my my favorite kinds of stories um like this is a guy that like it's a, like this protagonist who's like lost and empty and mm. he's still basically grieving for his daughter. We don't know what happened to her. Um, and again, this is like we we talk about the, the lot we you can like you just mentioned, earlier, you can compare them so easily to these last two issues we just read, which is says a lot, but ultimately says nothing mm-hmm. in this book. Lee Meyer understands I don't need to give in. I don't need to give you all the details. You can fill in all those details. When this guy has lost his daughter, his daughter was 11. She's gone missing. She's died. Who knows? And he's getting these mysterious messages and he wants to find her. He needs to remember her even like that's even like he just he can't even remember what she looks like. And that I that kind of like this tragic figure searching for something, trying to reclaim something that's lost or something that is who knows. And like that, I, I can, I will take that story shape 10,000 times in a row and I never get tired of it, especially when it's so well executed like this. Um, Lee Myers, ugly art works really well (laughs) in this. Um, It's really, and it's like the colors in this are very sparse. Um, the watercolors and all that, it, it really works at, at kind of making this world feel kind of empty in this, cause that's what this dude is kind of feeling. He's trying to like, he's trying to find a thread, you know, and the, 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 the that visual motif just reoccurring this thread of this, of his daughter's sweater, pulling him through this world, trying for him to find meaning again. It's really powerful, really simple visual motif that, pulls this keeps the whole issue together which it could you could easily struggle as a reader trying to find meaning like trying to why is this scene next to this scene you're like oh well there's always this little tiny visual motif pulling you through um i'm probably won't be buying any more issues of this i will be buying this in hardcover whatever it comes out (laughs) probably but well well worthwhile yeah it's really good um definitely Meyer is pretty good at this Motherfucker can write some comic books. Knows what he's doing. Uh, I'm a buy. Pretty easy. Buy this. Buy it in every format you can. Yeah, I can pretty confidently say that. I mean, as long as you don't mind your heart being ripped out. 
That's fine. I mean, that's, I think, an important part. But I mean, no, we're all basically dead on the inside. You're not using it for anything. <laughs> that's a double buy on Maze Book, number one. Yeah. Next up, Dead Box, number one. Written by Mark Russell, Art Benjamin Tiesma, colors Vladimir Popov, letters and world. Uh, woke Flintstones, Mark Russell strikes yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Guess what I did? What did you do, Eric? I recognize Mark Russell. Yeah, name. woo! Good job. I wasn't just like, oh, this is good. I wonder why. <laughs> who is this guy? Who's, who's who wrote who's this? Eric McGeneric man. Uh this is. This story takes place in the fictional town of Lost Turkey, which is it's a terrible name for a town. It is, but I mean, I, 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 I know for a fact there are dumber names for towns around. So, yes. Yeah. Where God is good uh, and the fishing is great. Shoo! We doggies. That's really good. Um, but uh, we're following this. This uh, lady works at a, like a convenience store and uh, there's a dead box outside. That has a little DVD. on the nose. Yeah, the DVD, the DVDs that don't exist anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. Like, um, I I don't want to call it a frame narrative, but I, I imagine that I think every- it is. I, I I think it is frame narrative. I think it's. Um, I mean, it's essentially Twilight Zone episodes. Like we're we're getting two stories in one. Yeah, it reminds I think that's the format for this. It reminds me of a, honestly reminds me of like video games like Alan Wake or uh where Rem- games created by Remedy where they like do this where like or Watchmen did it with the uh mm-hmm. Tales from the Black well, Freighter. It it literally reminds me of um World's End Sandman. Yes, that too. Which is the the story of I mean there's the frame narrative and there's stuff advancing in it. And then there's each character telling their own stories. Um, I don't know that that's exactly what this is going to be, but that is exactly the vibe I get from this one issue. Um, I like I I imagine we're going to be dancing around this town and getting these weird little DVDs mm-hmm. movies and how they. I, I don't know if we're gonna if it's ever going to be anything bigger than this. Like if it's going to connect into something bigger than we see these weird little stories in this weird little town with these these movies that don't exist. I don't know if we necessarily need anything more than this because this is good. This is really interesting. Um, and if it is just isolated like Twilight Zone episodes, I like the Twilight Zone a lot. Uh, so I don't have a problem with it, honestly. Um, I think the art tells the story very well. Um, it's going to have mm. to... It's going to have to... I'm interested to see what, like, I mean, the, and the premise does give you a lot of a leeway because I, the, the teaser for issue two is like about a romantic comedy, um, a marriage in crisis and the, the, uh, the healing powers of a rom-com. And I think that's, I, that's interesting that it gives it, it gives the, the, the book itself a lot of leeway and a lot of, uh, variety because you can just swap to a new weird thing. I don't know if we're ever going to get the origins of this video, this the dead box <laughs> but we'll, maybe who cares i'm a buy i like it yeah i like it too is that a buyer does that mean i buy you buy it you 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 work are you working me now yes it's a buy i'm always working you that's what we're doing right here this is we're working us I, I swear i swear if it wasn't clear before can't even, can't even not get worked here we're all i'm we're working 
I'm working 24 oh, seven when I'm recording podcasts. I know. Let's double by Dead Box number one. Lastly, is Bountiful Garden number one, written by Ivy Noel Weir, artist Art Kelly Williams, colors Giorgio Spalletta, letters Justin Birch. Do you know what this has the exact same shape, at least that it's trying to have? Which? Um, Alien, mm-hmm. which is exactly huge cast of people all wake up and then an event happens. Mm-hmm. But a thing that Alien manages to do is reveal character along the way leading up to that event. And this just introduces a whole huge cast of characters. Half of them are out of the story by the end of the book. Uh, And we have so little idea, so few character moments. They're all just basically character designs. And like one or two word bubbles, and then they're gone. This is not really very economical, and it's a bit of a, a bit confusing. Um, I don't know that I dislike this book because it feels pretty earnest, and it feels like it wanted to get them to this. It wanted to get them to the 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 uh, quantum moon here at the end. This is exactly the fucking quantum moon. It looks very similar. From uh, yeah. outer, outer wilds, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the outer worlds. Not different. Outer the to- wilds. Different video game. Absolutely different. Yes. Um, here, I will Dare say. Dare I say better. I will. Oh, there is no doubt. I've played both games. Outer wilds is leagues better than outer worlds. Um, outer wilds is also way better than this comic book. I don't think this comic book is very good. Um, I don't think it's terrible, but I don't think it's very good either. Um, I, everything you say applies. Uh, it is absolutely alien. It reminds me a lot of um, a book by Frederick Pohl. It has a lot of science fiction tropes in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, oh, these young children sent across the galaxy to start a new place, and it takes forever. That's why they're young, and... But they really who wrote that. Who wrote that other book that was basically kids in space? Oh, that was. was... It, why do I think it was Lee Meyer? Who was it? That was Gabriel Hernandez Volta was the artist and the writer. That's correct. Is Sentient is the name of the comic with Jeff Lee Meyer. Okay, then. I was right. You are correct. I'm um, glad that we went through all this trouble to prove me right. I just, I mean, it's important to remember things once in a while. Um. It the I mean this art certainly has that I feel like it is reminiscent of Walta in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, of... I, I I get that feeling as well. There's something about the color palette and the grittiness and griminess of it, and even the design of the spaceship and the world harkens to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but so there's there's similarities. There's good reason to point out the similarities it 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 is uh, it feels like again and this book is extra long it's a little bit extra long which i usually don't mind but extra but unfortunately it it seems to accomplish less in that in that one that like like you said eric there's not a lot of character moments there's like you think Mm -hmm. about alien but before the alien is there and you have all those characters and they're like and they're sitting around a table where they're doing like chores in their spaceship. Mm. 
and like you get in little bits of dialogue and flavor that tell you who these people are. They get you yeah. enough. It doesn't have to be a lot. Just has to be enough to like. Okay, this guy's this person. He this is his role in the spaceship. But the, also, this is the kind of person he is. Like, and this feels like you don't. They're not really showing us that. They're just telling us. We get a lot of dialogue that is like you're mm-hmm. a you are a, a engineer back on Earth and you invented this <laughs> thing. And I'm like, I don't. Right. If they're an engineer. Why don't you show them fixing something on the spaceship? Like, l- let them use their ability and technology to build, show us their character. And, like, the most character we have is like, oh, I'm the military boy. I'm going to go down to the planet. Who's coming with me? I don't want you. You're not a good fighter. You don't know guns. And I'm like, really? This is, I, I like, it just, it feels very kind of clunky. And it feels so kind of empty. Like, it feels like you could get, like, I don't know, maybe it's just because every time I, I feel like I feel like this every time we read Claremont, where so much information is communicated on a single page. Mm-hmm. And in this book that has extra pages, feels like there is, like, I could read four pages of that Claremont book, and there's more information on those four pages than in 30 pages of this comic book. Easily. And, and it just leads us, all we get to is like, oh, they had it in mind that we get to we're going to the last page of this book is where they get to the quantum moon effectively. And I, I, I think I'll even kind of add to that, that I don't even think it's necessarily bad to be, to be decompressed to not tell a lot of story in a lot of pages, but like to reveal so little character to make me care nothing about these characters with all that extra to all that extra trouble make that poor artist draw an extra 15 pages or whatever mm-hmm. um i don't know you can fuck all the way off it's like an extra it's like an extra only an extra four only an extra four pages it's not that long but yeah um i don't know i'm annoyed at it i'm annoyed at it i think there's a good story in here but People need to, they need to start at the right place. Their stuff needs to be punchier. Like, it's just, it's just not, there, there is something about genre fiction and, and, um, uh, science fiction where people think it's all about the world building and all the fucking bullshit when literally no one, like, if people are attached to the world and the deep lore, it is because the characters are compelling and make them care about it. Mm-hmm. Like deep lore is interesting, but like if I just started rattling off a bunch of deep fucking lore, you might be like, Oh, that's, that's a bunch of cool ideas. But like, if it doesn't relate to the characters or you're not compelled to them, you don't care. You absolutely don't care. It's so frustrating. Yeah, and I think, like, I'm just looking at these pages again, and it's, like, a lot of just dialogue, just people yelling out what their characters are, and you're like, mm-hmm. that's not, you have to show me. It's, it's yeah, they're, it's like they're clicking on them in StarCraft. Engineer! And I'm like, I, if you want me to believe that this guy's a good a military, he's like, oh, my whole, show me his room, show a, show one panel mm-hmm. filled with news clippings of his family, or show a picture of his dad covered in medals. 
Like that communicates seen... that same thing without you filling up clunky dialogue on the page. Have you ever seen? I I I feel like I probably have brought it up at least once in our long history. But have you ever seen Rear Window? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great movie. It's it's one of the four films I've watched. <laughs> but uh, in the in the opening credit scene, there's more storytelling done with zero words than this whole book. Yeah. And it, cause it just pans over a bunch of items. It te- like they're sub- like you're thinking about what's on the screen and it's telling you the story leading up to that point. It's just fucking brilliant. And there's no reason that they couldn't have done that in a very similar way here. You know, the way you're describing. Yeah. And I think that it also, it's that same comp- complaint criticism that you have drilled into my head, Eric. It's like, how much time does this take in an episode of, if you were to make a mm-hmm. cartoon of this, mm-hmm. how long would this take? Yeah. I a mean, minutes? an instant. Yeah. It wouldn't take this very long. Five minutes of a TV show. And the, the, and the value a lot of times in comic books is you were able to create density in storytelling. You're allowed to have layer and layer and layers of, of, of information communicated on a page that you can't do in other visual media, other visual arts. And this is kind of avoiding that and just kind of just like, Oh, big nothingness. Um, I'm a do not buy. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm a, I'm a polite do not buy on this. Cause I, I don't think it's wretched, but all the things that an issue one should do, this ain't doing it. Watch no. Alien instead. Yeah, well, I mean, Alien's a classic. It's great. Alien's um, fucking excellent. It's a very good movie. Um, you should watch. You should absolutely. I mean, you can watch Alien for any reason. You don't even need to have read a comic book first. You go watch Alien. If you haven't, if you haven't seen Alien, go watch Alien. My God, Alien's great. Well, it's one of the. It is. Two, that's two of the four films I've seen. You've seen two movies. Uh, I mean, the other two the, are two Land Before Time movies. Highlander. <laughs> Highlander's part of the Land Before Time franchise, right? I believe it's all part of the greater cinematic universe created by in the Land Before Time. Is yeah, is Don the, Don Bluth was really busy during that time period. Those dinosaurs were all about that electric dragon. They were. Mm-hmm. They, oh yeah, they, they wanted had, to eat that electric dragon. They had big swords too. That's what they. <laughs> that's a double do not buy. Bountiful Garden number one. That'll do it for floppies this week. We can move on to our next segment. It is time once again for checking in. Checking in is our show. Eric and I talk about what we've been up to in between episodes. It's been three weeks, Eric. Mm-hmm. And we have, for the first time in like 18 months, we saw each other. That's true. It was a real bro fest. We hung out, did things. Got We did. We went to Chicago, Chi-Town. Mm-hmm. We had, we had hot dogs. We did. We had deep dish pizza. I'm gonna tell you, I I <laughs> I told my Simpsons show co-host Matt Ham that I went to Chicago with you, and I had a mm-hmm. hot dog, Chicago style hot dog, and I asked him, well, "How do you feel about a cucumber on a on a hot dog, a Chicago style hot dog?" And he's like, "That's not Chicago style." I'm like, Matt, I literally ate a hot dog from a mm-hmm. shack, <laughs> like a that was like looks half. That literally, as we drove by, I'm yes. like, "That is that." I had the question. I'm like, "Are is that place open? Is that it looks?" Yeah, it, it did not look. It did not look open. It looked. It looked decrepit. It, it looked. It looked like a cardboard shack that my grandfather would have built 
uh, maybe my two grandfathers would have built together. It had it had a little bit of both their energy in it. Yeah. Um, in 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 like 1965, and then just left it. Just let it sit in the elements for 50, 60, 70 years. Yeah, it is. It is literally a random place that I saw Anthony Bourdain went to. It was really good. Fifteen years ago, it was the those. those the the hot dogs i think were excellent i could eat a dozen of those they were fucking delicious the uh the tamale like there's a tamale sandwich that that i wanted us to try mm-hmm. it's called a mother-in-law i think we were both kind of meh on on those they were fine they were I, not amazing i i liked it uh but yeah, i liked it okay it didn't have I, it, it was, didn't have the 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 kind of yeah joyful simplicity Mm-hmm. of the red hot frank just a normal yeah. hot dog yes um, i would eat both a again really good way of I, characterizing I would, it i would take them both right now honestly um without yeah. complaint um we went to see wrestling mostly we did get hot dogs while we were there but we went yes. and saw lots of wrestling and it was Shitload. it was great so you want to rifle off all the shows uh, we went well to? we I get, we'll end with all out because obviously, um, but we went we went primarily for all out. AEW's probably I would guess I'm going to say is there they try and not do it this way where all they want all four of their pay per views to be the most important pay per view, but I feel mm-hmm. like all out as basically has the legacy of being the WrestleMania of being their biggest event. Um, hence, hence the name. Hence the name. Um, so we went to we went to Chicago primarily to watch that live. But we, in the there was the uh, second city summit, as they called it, which is uh, some independent super shows, probably independent wrestling super shows, where GCW, Freelance, um, and Black Label, Black Label Pro, all ran shows with each other. Um, we saw three of the five shows, or four of the how many shows did we see? Three. We saw three. Right? We saw three. There was a fourth that we were like, Ugh. And we we were also very tired. <laughs> yeah, we 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 flew in what Friday morning, both I, of us. Yeah, we flew in Friday and we morning. Went, we 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 ate a little bit and then went straight to a fucking wrestling show. We saw Rampage on Friday night, and then we went and saw the the show that starts at eleven oh, o'clock at night. God, I thought I thought it was the other way around. Yeah, we did do that, didn't we? We went to saw Rampage, and then we saw the ele- show that started at eleven o'clock. Um, and then woke up on, on Saturday and I don't know, farted around mostly. Um, but it was nice. It was nice. We, 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 that we got was hot the day dogs. we drove. That was the day we drove for an hour to, to, to eat, a, to eat a hot dog and a, and a mother-in-law sandwich. And got to stop at a comic book shop. But then we went to the GCW show Saturday night, which is just a GCW war art of war games, Oof. which was incredible, Oof. incredible show. Oof. Then we went, we saw Effie's Big Gay Brunch, which was just on Sunday uh, morning, 11 o'clock. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. And then we... Didn't, I did not eat any of those fucking pastries. I'm sorry. I apologize to Effie I himself. Apologize to the, I apologize to the pastry drag queen. And po- Poyo Del Mar. I apologize to Poyo. I, follow, I did follow them. I did follow them. Good job. In the, in the nice way, like on social media, not yes. like... Not like stalking, creepy stalking. That's not my, yeah. That's not my deal. No, uh, it, that was fun. I don't need to stalk drag queens. They're, I can't get them to leave me alone, frankly. <laughs> and we saw all out Sunday night. Uh, Monday we went to art museum, and that was also really good. But that was a it, good day. I in was a, in a different way. I was so I was so mad. They're putting 
modern art in the contemporary section. You're like, really grousing the, about it. What 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 the words even mean? Why the dude, how dare it what this Jackson Pollock? He's not contemporary. So Why is fucking, he here? Yeah, he's, he's a fucking modern artist. I mean, goddamn. How dare it? How dare I mean, goddamn, Robbie. Those sons of bitches. But uh, all the shows are great. I'm, I personally marked off multiple things on my wrestling bucket list. Mm-hmm. Uh, One of them being I want to be hit by glass. I mean, yeah, kind of. I saw a death <laughs> match live. And then in the process of seeing a death match live, I got, I got hit. In, I was we were in the splash zone and I got we some pieces of glass hit me. Poor throw ringside. Poor throw ringside. It was uh, we had to. F- our names were written on our chair on on post on a post it. We and found that, it. Like, I was I was Eric Mood Knight and not Eric Goodnight. That was a G. Because someone doesn't know how the fuck to write a cursive G. The fuck's your problem, Curse- GCW? Curse- it's in your name. Cursive G's are hard. It's in your name. But GCW show is crazy. Uh, we got I got to see a bunch of dudes wrestle. I've never seen wrestle before. Got hit. Got to see light tubes and panes of glass and crazy spots and lots of blood. It was a great mm-hmm. show. Lots of great matches. Not just that one. We saw Moxley surprise appearance at the very end. Win the GCW championship from Matt Cardona, the king of the death match. That that. <laughs> That ending was so hot. That fucking crowd was shrieking at the top of their lungs. My God, everyone was so excited. I I, I thought there's no way that we're gonna top the pop that that hat that that came from that from Moxley showing up out of nowhere and fucking hitting the Death Rider on Cardona and running away with a GCW title. And, and get, we're getting our getting our Nick Gage John Moxley match in New Jersey, Atlantic City mm-hmm. should be great. Um, but All Out itself Sunday night was incredible. The be- the best wrestling show I've ever been to live, and maybe might be the best wrestling show I'll ever go to live. I don't know if I'll ever be present for anything better than that. I can't think of one I've ever seen that was better than that. That shit absolutely wrecked me i mean just you, you can even you can even hear it in my voice a little bit that i am still a little hoarse uh it has been one week um, it's been. since you looked at me it's been huh yeah it's been one week since you looked at me so we're you're doing the same bit that I'm we are doing. doing the same bit i'm doing a comedy bang bang they they did that for a long time whenever someone said it's whenever someone say it's been they'd go yeah it's been the burning goodness yeah goodness. uh goodness but the rest the all out was the matches were incredible probably the best cage match i've ever seen in my life um between the young bucks and the lucha bros which resulted in a title change which was very unex i was not expecting that i was mm-hmm. surprised um not in a bad way i it was an incredible match um the all the surprise appearances of both of of surprise quote unquote appearances of Ruby Soho of Brian Danielson of Adam Cole Bebe really just the cascade of big wrestling surprises um, lots of great matches I screamed like you just said Eric I screamed got to sing Kazai ni Narat Nare loud in person to Minoru yep. Suzuki as he walked by four feet from us mm-hmm. um can't complain just incredible no. show. I am, I am, I thought I was really excited about wrestling before. I am 
the most hyped, the most excited about professional wrestling about AEW. Mm. Um, I'm, I don't know, whatever. I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited for it. All these guys, all in the same company, all kinds of craziness happening. Um, great weekend. Pretty, great, uh, pretty unreal. Pretty good times. The the mm-hmm. travel could do without, but you know, wore me out. Yeah, I'm comeback Tuesday was a lot and. Still a little spooky, you know. Still a little spooky being on planes. Yeah, you can't. It's hard to not to be. But I unfortunately, you sent me that 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 gif or whatever. That dude freaking out on an airplane. Luckily, I had no weirdos, no crazies on my plane. Yeah. Did Just, you watch the second part where they where he got arrested? For I did not. Yeah, don't you. You don't disrupt travel like that if you want the freedom to travel from place to place and then be left alone afterwards. You know, don't don't get on a don't get on a plane and yeah, be screaming about a bunch of dumb shit. Don't no, be, don't Leave be yelling alone. Just don't. Unless you're an infant, you should not scream on an airplane. I did have a baby on the way back on my plane. Are you yelling. okay? I mean, I I named it. I didn't after, even I named realize it, you were with child. I named it after my dad. Uh, it was a boy, okay. so I was I was hoping for a boy. I didn't. We did not do the gender thing, you know, beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a boy. I'm pretty happy with that. Named after my dad. He's. We're gonna call him Little Buddy. Mm-hmm. Just like the, just like the '80s toys. <laughs> my buddy. My buddy. I had him. My buddy. I did not. I loved my buddy. He was my buddy. I didn't have any friends, so I had wrestling buddies. I had those. I had a, an Ultimate Warrior wrestling buddy. And I had a, we had an Ultimate Warrior and a Hulk Hogan. They had a brother. They had the. They had the. Get both of the scumbags. You, you got them both. It's true. It's like my mom was sending me pictures of him when she was cleaning stuff out. She's like, "Do you want these?" I'm like, "No, fucking sell those. They're probably. I mean." They're the least valuable ones because there were fucking millions of them. Yeah, there's some. If you had a Ted DiBiase, you could probably get two or three hundred bucks for it. You know what they say, Eric? Mm-hmm. Everybody's, got, Everybody's a price. got a price. Everybody's got a price. <laughs> <laughs> we're still doing the same bit together. We are. Um, all that was great. Is there anything else you want to touch on? I. I mean, I would say these past two hours of wrestling talk have been enough. Yeah, probably true. I will briefly mention I played a little bit of Lost in Random, which just came out. It's a lot of fun. You should go play that video game. It has a very unique art style. Gameplay is fun. Uh, it's a very fairy tale, and it's written by Ryan North. Uh, all the dialogue mm. is written by Ryan North, so it's very clever, very funny. The dinosaur guy. I mean, among many things, yes, but yeah, yes. he's the no, guy. he's a dinosaur guy. I mean, I've been playing a video. I've been playing Super Mario too. Oh wow, the new I, video game. So pissed, I can't beat it. I I keep getting to wart and then fucking taking it on the chin. It's it. I'm not I'm not good at it yet. You'll get there. I, I mean, I did. I have been making it to the final boss. There you go. He's not even hard. It's just fucking annoying. I think you are your own worst enemy when it comes to that, Mr. Goodnight. I think you have to learn to play video games <laughs> before you can be good at them. That's very true. <laughs> and I've spent my whole life uh, anxious and unable to focus on things and not really realizing it. Um, so I would not keep playing a game until I beat it. So I'm doing that now. You're getting there. Hey, 
I'm at the. I mean, I'm at the. I'm at the guy. You're at the guy. It's not that hard. Um, but that after three hours of wrestling talk, it wasn't three hours. It was pretty. It was reasonable, honestly. Um, it's been one week. Yes, yeah, been. We can move on to our final segment. It's time for Nerdbo Book Club. Nerdbo Book Club is the part of the show where Eric and I assign a longer collect to work and discuss it in depth like you would a book in a book club, except it is a comic book. This week we are discussing God Loves, Man Kills by Chris Claremont and Brent Anderson, the Marvel graphic novel back in the day, the first Marvel graphic novel featuring the core X-Men. This is the, the this has this has the the, the the I I think the most famous thing about this book is that panel where yeah, yes. pointing the meme at, panel the meme panel of uh what is it effectively Mike Pence is William Stryker pointing at Nightcrawl Night Nightcrawler saying you would would you call that thing human I think that is that has become bigger than this book ever was um what do you think Eric um. There is something about reading Chris Claremont comics and then going on to read this episode's selection of books and thinking, God, I miss when comics were good. <laughs> I I mean, I did not. I was I mean, when did this book even come out? 1982. I was, was going to say I was barely fucking alive mm -hmm. when this book was released. I was going to say I wasn't even alive, but. I was just barely even created. You were not born nope. yet. Not even a, a, a twinkle in my parents' eyes. Yep. Yep. Um, how do you think about a, a lot of his heyday in like the late 70s or whatever and his huge long run doing ball and ass shit like this for X-Men and creating, I don't know, this is, this is like the succinct... X-Men mythology like there's stuff in this that they're doing in recent X-Men films it's just it's just so pure and elemental and good it has something to fucking say and I think more, more than that is it is genre fiction superheroes is a genre you know, mm -hmm. of, of comic books, genre fiction that tells us something about ourselves, says something about society and is not just empty. Like let's fly around and punch stuff like that's it's window dressing. And considering it was 1982, that that's, it's a pretty bold statement. Like, hey, let's not be, let's not commit genocide. <laughs> <laughs> let's be nice to uh, people of color and gay people. Jesus Christ. I, it's just remarkable. Fucking Chris Claremont, man. I just so happy with every word. Like, there, there's, there's, there's some stuff in here that was a little hard to read. There's a, Fucking Kitty Pride dop drops a hard R N word in here. Mm -hmm. What's that all about, kitten? I mean, I was going to ask you about that. Obviously, um, it's kind of hard to ignore. I mean, and, and 
in the backup material, um, Claremont was like, I, you know, I don't think I could get away with that nowadays, which I think is true. Even to, even to prove a point that's not terribly acceptable to put that shit in print. Um, I think that, I think that is one. Okay. This book is, I think is a basically like a, it is a encapsulation of Claremont and the X-Men of what, how he wrote them and what their Mm -hmm. primary struggle with was being recognized as human or, or, or uh, being recognized as people, I guess, not just, you I guess there's debate about what human is and blah, 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 blah. But all that nonsense aside, being human mutants being recognized as people and using that as a, a, a metaphor for people of color, uh, for uh, LGBTQ people of any minority, effectively, um, any oppressed minority. And this book kind of encapsulates that in a really in, in concisely, effectively, um, and tells you that story. You could you don't really need to read anything else and you get it. Um, but in doing so, he has, you know, Kitty Pride used the N-word. Uh, to to try and I don't know defend drawing a direct comparison. Yeah, exactly. From Just one thing to another. No subtle here. This is not you know this is not Stan Lee in 1963. This is Chris Claremont. Like here, I'm gonna you're gonna get it. I'm gonna make you understand. This, there's a direct line here. The the true king of subtlety, Stan Lee. I mean, I the the, the Stan Lee and the Stan Lee. Kirby X Men is not very, very good, um, but it does. Um, it it tries its best. Gosh darn it! Yeah, it it's just not it. It is the it is that it, it's probably the worst, honestly, of all the Stanley mm. comics. Um, it looks beautiful. I but, think that's fair. Um, I mean, I think no one really gave two shits about the X Men until they thought it was neat, Claremont but, came along and did stuff like this. It was neat, but it was kind of just like, oh, it's this is a fun adventure comic. It wasn't not. Mm-hmm. There was certainly, obviously, there was parallels there between mutants representing, you know, minorities and stuff like that. But it's Stanley. He's not going to be able to. He's not going to be drawing you, you know, like deep uh, uh, story, d- deep uh, allegories about oppression uh, or genocide in his comics. That's what Stanley always said. Get woke, go broke. <clears throat> He was pretty progressive for the time, but he really so- fucking was. I mean, I, I, I fully believe, like you know, that people share it as a meme now is him saying something, you know, something anti-racist or something that's anti-hate, um, and it's nice, you know. I don't know. It it usually is that sort of way that uh, artists and creators, because you have to think about a lot of people and meet a lot of people in order to create artwork that touches folks. Um, I don't know. Our business is empathy in creating stuff. So it's, it's no wonder that there's a fair amount of, uh, a fair amount of that in creations like this. Yeah. And this is 1982, a very different world. This is something, this is meaningful. Claremont drawing those direct lines. 
He doesn't want mm. it to be subtle here. He wants you to understand. He wants everyone to understand. It this is this is like in direct contradiction of a lot of people even today who are like, I don't comic books aren't political. Blah, 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 blah. And you're like, nineteen eighty two you had Chris Claremont writing a a, a canonical and an X Men story uh where they are it is not subtle. It is a there's no this is not a this is not subtext. This is text. This is this is mutants as allegory for minorities with a guy who was we joked earlier about the striker being based looking like Mike Pence, but he was based on Ronald Reagan's secretary of state, Alexander Haig. Turns out these people have not changed much. No, 40 years later, they're roughly the same person. Um but it is a, a, a easy model for an oppressive old white dude who doesn't who who decided that these people are the problem, so we're going to kill them. Um, comic books have been political for a very very long time. Um, they're and even then as we all know, Chris Claremont had no career in comics. He went what well, he got woke and he went broke. Mm. There's, they they even uh, in an interview they asked, um, is it possible to separate personal politics from comic books? Brian Anderson, sure it is, but you're not going to make very very good art if you separate art your your com- politics from your art. God bless. Um, this is why Cyber Frog is the greatest piece of art that's ever been created. I mean, that's next time in book club we're going to read Cyber Frog. No, we won't. <laughs> No cyber frog. I mean, you can read it by yourself. Okay, fair enough. I mean, <laughs> there's probably stuff to talk about in it. It's going to be terrible. I, I think there'd be a lot of stuff to talk about. It'd be I awful. Don't, I don't but... particularly. I don't particularly want to have a a comics gate episode. No, I don't either. It'd be miserable. Um, but this book is not just. I don't know. There's also a lot of this that I think feels a little like again. 1982, this is like not even halfway into what would be Chris Claremont's run of X-Men. He wasn't even halfway in yet. And this is a book where we see Magneto team up with the X-Men, where we see Xavier almost give in to Magneto as a, as Magneto was right kind of moment here. Um, These things aren't, weren't kind of tropes yet. Like nowadays, it's like, oh, Magneto and Xavier working together. Yeah, I know. We've seen that story 50 times. This it, this ha- still has novelty and value here. Um, I think, honestly, even with the, all those things not having as much novelty, this still this book still holds up with that storytelling. These characters are still so uh, strong with Claremont writing them in particular. Um, I think it's. I think the other thing that came to me as I was reading this, given how unsubtle this book is about drawing that allegory is there is the question of, is there still value with X-Men as allegory in 2021? Considering you can, you, you can just write characters that are gay or you can just write characters that are minorities and make them focal points of a show of a, of a, of a show of a comic book and of them facing 
those issues head on, is there still value as mutants, as allegory, as oppressed minorities in the year 2021? I mean, potentially. In general, I think, um, at least in my experience, like I, I always complain about allegory because the narrative, it's, it's so often an excuse to have an incomprehensible narrative um, where this is not, this is not, you know, it tells a story, but you can easily say, oh, it's trying to say something about this oppression and reframe it in a different way. Um, and I think there is a thing that you can do about that. But nowadays, if someone wants to talk about something, they just talk about it. Um, and I'm not sure where the taboo would be, where a publisher would be like, oh, you can't have an openly gay character. You can't have more than uh, two black people on panel at once. Um, you can't, you can't do these things. Um, there's, there's probably a place for it, but off the top of my head, I can't think of, I can't think of um, where they would try and stop us, you know? I mean, I think there is still hesitance in editorial, at least in Marvel and DC, mm. about having, certainly having, you know, a gay relationship be front and center in a book. Or, it ha like, there's, it, it, and it's, a, it's, it's not that it's outright, like, no, you can't do that, because we see it, Hulkling and Wiccan. Wiccan have, I was have, literally going to talk about Hulkling and Wiccan, where the, yeah. the, the core of the whole thing was their fucking wedding. Mm -hmm. They have a Jewish wedding in space. What the fuck did they do? Yeah, but it's they, it's, had, they did something like that. It's it's more like weird stuff around the periphery where it's like, oh, you can have this. Like it, it's that weird hesitation where they don't want characters in certain characters in specific places, and you can't have like there was that big push to from. I, I the the think the thing that comes to my most prim, uh, comes to me first is the push from Captain America, like people questioning, like, well, why couldn't the Captain America be gay? You know, why couldn't you make Steve Rogers gay? You know, have like, from the people mm. who, who ship him and Bucky, why couldn't you do that? Like, and, and there's a pushback. It, it's not really like necessarily for Marvel. Like, no, we don't do that. It's more like, no, we're just going to stick with these characters and do what they think. Like there's, I think there's ways you can make it very daring and very bold and very big. And it seems like it's very, a lot of the time, mostly because I'm guessing they just want make to make money and they don't want to offend anybody too yeah. much. They don't want to drive off people. And they don't also don't want, they don't want to drive off people who don't like the idea of Captain America being gay, but they also don't want to drive off people who like that idea. They want to get as many people to buy their comic books as possible. They don't really care who's buying it. Hence queer baiting. Yes. And I, that's what I mean. Let's like where it's not necessarily it is superficial, I guess, is what mm. I would say is that they allow it in certain cases, but in other cases where you would let a bigger character be a focal point of your story or change them, it becomes superficial. It becomes ways to pander to people just for their money. And they don't really care about a deeper or long-term story or, or something that directly confronts an issue. They want a fantasy in some cases. I don't know. I, I myself, like I, I think what, at least in the X-Men in particular, 
I think, frankly, I, I don't know. There's certainly a lot of issues about why the X-Men floundered for so many years before Hickman took the team. I'm sure some of it is Marvel not wanting to put too much into them because they didn't own the movie rights. That certainly was a part of it. But I think a lot of it also was storylines focusing so much on trying to tell the same Chris Claremont stories all over again. And over and over and over again, just the same thing. And different permutations. We'll make this team this these six people instead of these six people this time. But ultimately, it's the same story. It's like, oh, no, this the, we got a, found a mutant in the Central Park. Uh, he got kicked out of his house because his parents didn't want to be a mutant. I'm like, I've guys, I know this story. Um, Hickman taking over the X-Men and pushing this different direction where it's not necessarily about... Mm. It's not necessarily about... It, it's more macro than micro. It's not about, oh, yes, there's these people trying to persecute us. It's more about what happens to a culture when they become established, you yeah. know? And I think that largely that is what this Hickman, the, the Krakoa era has become it's where like what happens when this culture is big and is ruling itself and is power what happens where the cracks form what happens when the x-men have won yeah in a lot of ways and i think that's that is an interesting take and it's definitely not really focused on it's it's certainly it's more about perceived oppression than oppression than direct oppression and i think it's a it's interesting and new because those things were like it that because it seems like the X-Men were caught up so for so, so long. Like we read Grant Morrison's run with the X-Men and it ended with, you know, Magneto committing terrorism, which is in a lot of ways. And doing, it, and doing drugs. Yes. Don't forget that. It, I mean, in a lot of ways, Grant Morrison, like he just was like, well, what do I do when I push this to its logical conclusion? What happens? I don't think he has logical conclusions. Graham Morrison? Uh, sometimes. And a lot of times he goes, that's boring. I'm going to do the crazy thing. Um, I think most of the time that's what he does. I mean, nowadays, especially. But I think it's, I think that that's what that story was in the early 2000s. That's all it was is like Graham Morrison going like, well, if I follow Chris Claremont's run, I run, I follow these X-Men stories to the logical collusion. Oh, Magneto's going to commit an act of terrorism and he's going to get, and they're, they're going to kill him because they have to. And it's just like, well, that's great, but I don't, you know, it's not, do we need that story? I don't know, but no, no, probably not. At least it's not very interesting. That's not a very interesting ending for, I I don't know. It, it, I guess in a vacuum, it can be interesting, but the problem is it exists in the greater context of a Marvel universe. And it doesn't really say anything about that oppression. It doesn't say anything about that allegory. Um, at least not intelligently. <laughs> I like a lot about Graham Morrison's X-Men run, but by the time, by the ending, everyone has die hard brain. But you could not, absolutely not have Kitty Pride use the N-word in 2021. Mm. Because there was, I don't know if you remember this, Eric, because this, this also made me think of this. Is you remember the Uncanny X-Force book written by Rick, Rick Remender at all? Uh, yeah, of course. With, no, but the I mean thing that, the thing that made us start doing podcasts. Yeah, okay, but, but do you remember the Uncanny Avengers book that came after it? Not really. That's the havoc. That's the that's the X Men and Avengers teaming up together. Uh, I remember what, it. I remember it being in like a a weird space. Maybe we read a little bit for the early era of this podcast, 
but it was a thing that kind of came and went. It was a it was like a really weird team. I mean, yeah. it was it was also caught in between a lot of events, so it was yeah. kind of and it got delayed a bunch of times because of uh, different. I, I think different artists just got slowed down with it. Um, mm-hmm. But there was a very prominent, a uh, very criticized moment in that book where Havoc comes out and says, I don't like the word mutant anymore. I don't want to be defined as mutant anymore. I don't want to use the M word, he says. S- explicitly says that. Don't call us mutants. The M word represents everything I hate. Yeah. Drawing a clear parallel between the M word and the N word. Mm-hmm. And that book was not too long ago. Um, in the mid-teens. Yeah. Um, that... Th- that that is like that book comes like oh that's what happens when you try and push that even further where you try and make in the functionally the modern day you draw mm-hmm. that parallel and it fell flat because it felt like yeah. a ra- it felt like erasure it's like oh well we need we you got to take away this identity what is mutant it's what we would call two on the nose i think yes like and what you, is your point in saying something like that Ugh. Yes. I mean, I think that's the thing. It's like, oh, we, it, it feels very much like the arguments over the word queer about mm-hmm. what is a slur and what's not and that kind of stuff. And people are arguing then it's like, this is not a message of inclusion. This is a message of assimilation where you are, we don't want to be mutants. We just want to be part of you. And you're like, well, you can't, it's not, especially when it's Havoc saying this, like this white blonde dude this right. is this is you, you know you have and then like that this moment in in god loves main kills where you have kitty pride who is canonically jewish uh character you know basically saying the n-word to a black woman's face mm-hmm. and the black woman going no she's right um i think that flies in 1982 to a certain extent it's strong and it and it's a and it's pro- it feels like oh this is what he had to do to make it make sense he wanted. Mm-hmm. He wanted. To, he was yelling at not just this this character. He was yelling at the people reading this comic book. He's like, "This mm-hmm. is. I want to make you understand, but that doesn't work anymore, uh, and you can't do it anymore because of the fact that there are these that you can use all these different minority identities as, as parts of characters and use them as part of a story arc. You can use them in Marvel comics mm, sometimes if it's if you do it right. Maybe Marvel will let you. Um. But you can certainly do it in comics. There's that is not a problem anymore. This is in 1982. What 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 do any comics look like in 1982? Uh, they're they're the ones that are Xerox, and you know someone leaves them in a in an independent record store. Yeah, it looks like it looks like a. Although I mean, I guess really the the R crumbs and things. It's not like they didn't exist ever since like the fucking like what mid 60s or something. Yeah, that's what. But that's what we're like. It's 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 the R crumbs. But it's also like aggressively, you know, straight white men, largely the ones that you like R crumb in particular. Yeah, um, yeah. Drawing that was that was. I mean, that oh yeah, absolutely. Um, that was a a big criticism that people lay at the feet of the uh, the alternative comics movement. Um, that, that that that's who it was. Uh. But nowadays, all that is very 
inclusive. It has it represents like like you like indie comics. If you want to look at just books that you get from Dark Horse or 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 Image or whatever, there is certainly a lot of uh, representation among all kinds of spectrums. There's and if you want to dive down into like self published books and zines and stuff like that, that is as uh, representative as you can get every kind of comic every kind of story is told mm. there's no but it's certainly it is i mean it is the upside i think of the internet age of uh art becoming more democratic that it costs a lot less to you know you can draw a comic on a sheet of typing paper and like upload it basically with your phone, uh, edit and upload it basically with your phone to fucking Instagram and have an Instagram comic, you know, like you can, you can publish anything and it, it re removes a lot of those barriers to entry that basically anyone in this country has some kind of phone device and can't afford a ballpoint pen and a piece of typing paper. Um, I, so I think like I don't know it's a it's a non-zero number of creators mm -hmm. outside of privileged classes of people yeah and know? I mean I think that context is important whenever you with, when you read this comic because none of that existed um and in mainstream comic books there was nothing you know there was no mm. there was no like you're reading other like there was the like we just read uh that green arrow and green arrow was one of those social issue books and th you see them appearing in mainstream superhero comics at the time when there really wasn't much else besides mainstream superhero comics and chris claremont was a champion of it he was spearheading it when like when he like there's uh, I think it's easier to criticize now, and it's easy to criticize the fact that he uses the N-word in this comic, um, but the fact that he used, like, all, like he had, you know, Kitty Pride is often used, Kitty and Ileana's relationship is queer-coded in a lot of ways, um, and obviously the, 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 the allegory is very clear here, at the same time telling a very clear and concise story about the X-Men trying to fight against oppression fighting against religious oppression in 1982 in the height of reagan um and the height of the aids epidemic and it's it has a lot of value and it has a, and like i don't know you could read this comic now and still find parallels between our current like the way our governments function the way our governments oppress people which is depressing <laughs> well it's an unfortunate uh fact of human nature is uh it's easy to galvanize people to whip them into a frenzy and a voting block or or any kind of political will by pointing the finger at some out group and saying these people are the reason for all of your problems. Um, and we have seen it in recent enough history. It's very easy for, for, I mean, not just in our own country, it's easy to see it across the world. It's easy to look back over the 20th century 
and see it even maybe in the 19th. It happens over and over again just because it's the fucked up way we are. Um, And it's, it's, you know, we need to learn from these lessons and get to where we can address these issues and make people understand that uh, people are not their enemy. Um, And I don't think having a cop shoot them is necessarily the, the right way to, uh, to end that conflict. I'm that's, I, I, I was going to say that is the, 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 like, that is the way that they, uh, Deus ex copina. <laughs> to be fair, it's pretty neat and tidy. It makes it really easy to wrap up your story. Um, when you have a mustache cop man, shoot, uh, Reverend Stryker. Um, that raises more questions there at the end, you know, with the cops being the uh, people who are like, oh, yeah, we stand up for mutants. And we're like, mm, that's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say a lot of a lot of a lot of gay folks who got their ass beat by uh, cops over the 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 entire 20th century. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you could like 30 years before. When like when when was the Stonewall riot? I'm gonna Google that. Say seventy, sixty-eight, sixty-nine, sixty-nine. Nice. I was uh, there. You go. Um. So twenty twenty-seven years. Um. There's a great podcast. Um. That the um. Uh. The you're wrong about team did about Stonewall which was basically a speakeasy run by the mafia where they drank out of dirty buckets and things because they didn't have anywhere else to go and be gay. And cops would just come in and beat the shit out of them and send them home. Like just basically whenever, like it was not nice, uh, to fucking be a closeted gay person in the sixties and seventies. Um, and, I, I don't know. It's letting the cops uh, be the good guy in this is a little frustrating to me um, because I, you know, I don't think you, I don't think you need to really have too many, uh, too much experience with the police to be like, oh yeah, they're like, they, they basically, they do what they want and they're there to like if if someone's like oh hey they're threatening my business and i own several million dollars of property well they're going to listen to that person you know mm-hmm. they're there to uh, protect property yeah well exactly like if if someone does something to me they don't give a shit you know like i don't know a, a thing that literally happened to me is a couple of cops illegally came into my home uh, when I called them for something unrelated, they just invited themselves in, which is against the fucking law. And I just let it happen. Cause I'm like, do I really need this to escalate? You know? Cause it's just, this is just who they are. And I am literally the whitest man you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and they're, I- they're not, they're, it, I, I don't think they need to be let off the hook is really all that I'm driving at. And it feels, I don't want to say lazy, but certainly too easy. And I just think wrong headed considering 
really what the what was going on in the era preceding i mean an era that claremont lived through probably i mean i will i'm not gonna i'm not gonna defend uh one i think it is there is i think claremont went for an easy uh representative of authority he went to the Mm -hmm. cop um, but I, obviously, like, no one is exempt from, you know, copaganda, as we had our yeah. very important discussion in our... Uh, our book on Dog Man. <laughs> our book on Dog... Our discussion on Dog Man. But... Um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a book. All our all our podcasts are printed out and released in book form. Oh. Um, it, it, no one is exempt from it. Me, myself included. Um, it is also because it's very neat. It is very neat and tidy to have, uh, this representative of authority come into your story. Um, but also it is, I mean, Claremont is not exempt from the fact that I don't know for a large part of my life, didn't think twice about, I just, the cops were just this nameless yeah. force that, you know, you if you kept yourself and you didn't cause any trouble, you wouldn't have any trouble with cops. But that's only true when you're a white dude and you you you, you basically are allowed to do mostly whatever you want without repercussions. Uh, and Chris Claremont, that's who he is. Uh, you know, he probably didn't have many negative encounters with the police in his whole life. And so well. this is it's a pretty recent. I don't know. It feels like if I. It feels like, I don't know if it's just the circles I'm in, but it feels like there is a kind of a recent groundswell of like realization of like, oh, right. They really, they really just do whatever they want. And it is some, it is largely separate from what, whatever you want to perceive justice as. And whenever you see it, this, like the end of this story is a cop meeting out justice is a cop standing up for the little guy and not that cop has never done that ever in history Mm. of the United States, but as a whole serving as a symbol, it feels as powerful as the rest of this, this metaphor and allegory goes at the end. It feels very hollow. It feels Mm. empty. And I think that's, I think that's the thing where you look at this book. It's when I keep repeating 1982, 1982, 1982, it represents, it, it demonstrates very clearly the kind of change we've gone through as a society, uh, since its release in 40 years, almost. And how we've changed and how we haven't changed in, in, in both ways. And I feel like that recognition of that hollow feeling is important. Uh, the you know of this of the cops just oh tidying it up uh, at the very end and i think that's interesting because a lot of people talk about how the fact this book is a book that it is a story about how the x-men are are trapped in a in a conflict where they can't punch them their way out of do you think it would have been better if one of his cronies turned on him i think it's probably more satisfying i think it's more satisfying to us and i think i mean you see it you see it sort of where that the her his main purifier it turns out she's a mutant and he kills her, I guess, breaks her neck. Mm-hmm. Um she tries. If it I I think God, it, God tries, man kills. I know. <laughs> uh uh God tried if he lives. Um it That's also true. Um bringing it back around. Um it's 
<laughs> I think it's ultimately more satisfying, probably, to an ending. But I think that I think that this ending here, where it has the police intervene and stop the stop striker, it feels like Claremont trying to be hopeful about yes authority. That is um, what we might call in left circles a bunch of lib shit. <laughs> I mean that um, that is a, actually it, a, absolutely true about that ending in particular. It mm. is. It feels. It is a very much like. Well, if you asked Claremont today, I, he probably would have a different answer. You know. It, it's, I mean, I, I, I imagine so. But I mean, I think that it it says something about the belief in a lot of well-meaning, I don't know, white Democrats that. Oh, if we just try harder and do the system better, it'll be okay, you know, and not we need to address fundamental problems and fix things and fucking protect people. Yes. I mean, it, it is it is the it is it feels much like, oh, that the idea of we stopped races, we saved we stopped racism. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, we we won. Obama was elected president. We won. Yeah, we don't have to do anything more. And I think it also represents that discussion I brought up about, you know, can you still use mutants as allegory in the year 2021? And I think effectively, yes, you can. You just need creators who are that minority. They are the people who are being affected, who still are trying to fight for rights or for representation or for whatever. You need those creators. And I think that is how you, you embolden them with the, that ability. Uh, you give them that avenue. And I think they can tell interesting stories, certainly still using me as this allegory, but it's not going to be authentic when you have... Just a you know normal white guy doing this the storytelling. Well, I think this is even assuming that that's the story they want to tell. I mean, it, to be fair, it, I'm perfectly happy with the X Men yeah. operating in a different sphere. They don't need to yeah. be in the same place I, anymore. Yeah, I I think that it was a moment. It was a thing that we needed. It set the X Men on a very interesting uh, direction. It was foundational, elemental, really important for what it was and I don't know it can be a different thing and I don't have even a small problem with that um yeah I mean I think it represents the change that we've seen and I think that doesn't make this comic any less valuable or any less important um it's it's concise it's less than 100 pages it's still very dense um because of obviously Claremont uh bright we haven't really still, talked still a pretty easy afternoon read yeah, it's you not, know, it's I mean it, the the it's relative. It, it it again, it's concise. It tells its story. It gets in and gets out. Um, even despite its you know typical Claremont density, Brandon Anderson's art is uh, it's really it's nice. Very, I, I enjoy it. Yeah, it's really good. It 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 feels I don't know. It feels like the comic books I loved. It, it reminds me pretty directly of um, and I guess this is just it's just the book that I compare everything of this sort of uh, era of print technology getting better, uh, you know, early and mid eighties. Cause it, 
uh, it, it reminds me directly of V for Vendetta with the uh, the soft painting and then the bold finishing lines, um, you know, with a couple of painterly flourishes here or there. But um, Longbow Hunters was very similar, and I think it's just a hallmark of that era. But I'm, I'm almost like nostalgic for comic book art looking like this. I think it's tremendous. Yeah, it is dis- distinct and successful and and has really great storytelling. And I don't know, it, it is. And I think in a weird way, it's very kind of grounded. Like there's not outside of Colossus, none of these characters are like muscle bound. Like Magneto looks like an old man. Mm. You know, like he looks like he it doesn't fill he doesn't even fill out his his yeah. uh, costume. It's really bizarre seeing this and comparing it to, I mean, I, 10, 11 years later, how different the world is going to be, um, you know, with your your spawns showing up eventually and your your uh, your venoms and your carnages. Mm-hmm. Um, all starting to pop up in that early and mid nineties era, and how uh, I don't know. It's almost it 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 feels like we have a lot of um a, a, a lot of people being weird about their masculinity because we've been exposed to this hyper masculine garbage. You know, like Colossus just isn't like kind of a big guy. Like he is here. He's like a fucking mega hoss with 400 pounds of muscle. You know, he's, he's, he's built like a brick shit house, like a brick shit house for a brick shit house. Like it's just, everything is beyond parody. No, this feels extraordinarily grounded. It feels Mm -hmm. like these are fit people, but Mm -hmm. they are not like ripped cut gigantic muscle bound monsters even in colossus's case he's just a big guy with muscles and covered in steel but he's not you know like you just said he's not uh he doesn't look like a, the world's strongest man when he's well, not I mean, it, it it wearing it, it the... says a lot it it says a lot nowadays that leading men in movies i mean they take months off to do nothing but train and diet every day they dehydrate themselves for being on set. They take human growth hormones, and that's what they admit to in in public. Um, uh, but there is this crazy escalation of what we think a fucking man is. <laughs> but you know, on on, oh god, this is this is almost a little off topic. It's just it's just interesting comparing it to the eras of comic books we have not just lived through but read through it's a fucking weird old world i really enjoyed god loves man kills uh, hot take chris claremont pretty fucking good no it is he's a, a classic for a reason mm-hmm. i mean i i think you put him in the you you put him in the vindicated hall of fame comic creators with jack kirby great guy a plus love Chris Claremont. Uh, that was God loves men kills. Uh, next time, two weeks time, we will be 
reading Rorschach from uh, Tom King and Jorge Fornes. Uh, it just wrapped up. Uh, and I am really curious to see what the hell that book ends up being. Because we read a single issue and I was like, wow, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. The wonder what's going to, this is not, this is not just Watchmen 2. <laughs> I am very intrigued to see what in the fuck they did with it. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I'm, I think that's, I would, regardless if I think the Tom King books are good or bad, he, I think he always writes something interesting, something worth discussion. Uh, so we will be talking about that next time. My God. What's that? You hear that, Eric? That's, that sounds like, like some kind of, some kind of incursion from a, like a, a a crisis, a crisis event. What's happening? I don't know. It does sound like some sort of dimensional rift opening up. Yeah. Perhaps affecting us in exactly four episodes. I hope nothing happens in, in, in four episodes. That would be really, that would be really bizarre. Maybe if we ignore it in four episodes, nothing will happen. Oh yeah. Just like climate change. Just like climate change. You ignore it. Just look away. We're just going to look away from that very strange sound that absolutely means nothing bad's going to happen in four episodes. My God. Send for the man. I, I'm a little. I'm a little discomforted. Ignoring it makes me feel better about yes, it. Yes, exactly. We will ignore sure that. Hope nothing happens. That terrible. I'm certainly no crisis will happen in four episodes. Mm-hmm. Next time, Rorschach, read along with us. Uh, you can find us online, handsboyscomicshour.com. Has links to everything we do, all our social media places and our emails and our RSSs. They're all there. Um, you can find me online on Twitter at Robbie Dorman. My website is RobbieDorman.com. has links to all the things I do, uh, my other podcasts, and my horror novels. My newest novel is called Death Rattle. It's about a, a ornery old cuss in Texas defending his town from vampires. It's great. You should go read it. It's on Amazon. Go buy it. Magnificent. Yeah. Eric, where can they find you and your things online? What a swell question, sir. Uh, you can see my portfolio at freewillunlimited.com. And see many of the things I get up to online at ericzgoodnight.com. That includes hmm, that includes my uh, many social medias, uh, including Instagram, Twitch, and Twitter, where I am known on all services as Easy Goodnight. Well, that, folks, we will call it a day. Have a good one. Rock and roll. <laughs>